It's Wednesday, November the 6th, 2023, and welcome back to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution. While that title is mine and mine alone, I'm not the only Hoover Fellow podcasting these days. If you don't believe me, go to our website, which is hoover.org. Click on the tab at the top of the homepage. It says commentary. Scroll over to where it says multimedia. And under audio podcast, about 15 or 16 of them will pop up. My podcast is at the top of the list. And I think that's a reflection on the fact that I strive to get the best and the brightest from the Hoover Institution on this podcast, this episode being no exception. My guest today are David Brady and Doug Rivers. Dave Brady is the Hoover Institution's Davies Family Senior Fellow Emeritus and the Bowen H. and Janice Arthur McCoy Professor of Political Science in the Stanford University Graduate School of Business. Doug Rivers is a Hoover Institution Senior Fellow and a Stanford University Political Scientist. He's also the Chief Scientist at UGub PLC, a global polling firm. They're here today to talk about the latest in politics and public opinion. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Bill. So I, I agonized about when to bring you guys on this podcast because the question is, when is it too soon to talk about 2024? And I know there are those people who will talk about 2024 the moment the 2020 election is over or the 2022 is election. But here's where I looked at it. I figured it this way. We have passed Labor Day now, which is the, traditionally back in the old days, a jump start for the presidential election. There's been one Republican debate. There's a second one uh, three weeks from today at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley in Southern California. We are 425 days away from November 5th, 2024, when we decide on the next president. So a good time to talk about public opinion. So since the two of you dabble in, in polling, I want to throw a poll at you two to start this off. And this is the question about what kind of election we're looking at here right now. So here goes. Is, the, is this election A, choice number one, uncharted territory? Uncharted territory in this regard. You have an incumbent president is in the 80s who is facing, likely will face a twice impeached former president currently currently facing 90 plus felony counts in four different trials, not to mention he lost a judgment at defamation trial earlier today. Or Damon Doug is the answer of B. This is the Yogi Berra election, who Yogi maybe said one time, but he's quoted off as having said it's, quote, deja vu all over again. Deja vu all over again, meaning that it's September 2023 and it's much the same as September 2015. Trump is the front runner with a, in a large Republican field, but there are fundamentally deep and bothering questions about his electability. Meanwhile, the likely Democratic nominee, and you can swap out Bernie Sanders for RFK Jr., I guess, if you want to play out this scenario. But Joe Biden, the likely Democratic nominee, has problems of his own, age, inflation, maybe character of his son's legal problems continue. Or is the answer to this very complicated poll, gentlemen, C, and it's both A and B. So, Doug, you start. Is the answer A, uncharted territory, B, it's the Yogi Bear election, or is it C, a combination of A and B? Could you repeat the question again, Bill? Just kidding. <laughs> sure, uh, I got another five minutes to kill. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to go with Yogi Berra. Um, what we're seeing at the moment looks like a repeat of 2020. Uh, a very close election between uh, Biden and Trump. Uh, I think it's almost certain that uh, they will be the nominees uh, for uh, each party. And uh, the polling at the moment shows it's uh, at least as tight as 2020 was, maybe tighter. What do you think, Dave? A, B, or C? Uh, I'm going with the uh, problem A. And the reason is I think that given the weaknesses of both candidates this in 2016 uh hillary clinton and donald trump in the when we know history of polling they were the two most unpopular candidates to run mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, and now we're going to have we're going to have the same thing again. But the winner of the election, it strikes me, will have a credibility problem in the country as whoever wins, the other side is going to think it was illegitimate. And that that strikes me as perhaps the most important thing. And, and, and it's not clear to me exactly what that will mean for the ability of the president to manage uh, foreign affairs, how, how will that affect domestic affairs? But that strikes me as even if what Doug says, and probably is true about uh, B, the Yogi Berra election, the bigger question for me is this credibility of the president as a result of the 2024 election. Yeah, I'm glad you I agree that. with you. The aftermath of the 2024 election is quite uncertain. Okay, I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned character for this regard. Um, you look at uh, polls right now, and Trump leads the GOP poll by a, a GOP field by a wild margin. Wall Street Journal had a poll out earlier this week. Uh, Trump is the first choice uh, among 59 percent of primary voters. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis was second at 13 percent. Nikki Haley was uh, third at eight percent. Um, the DeSantis Trump divide back in April was 48-24. So he's built upon that. You look on the uh, Democratic side. Polling is kind of scant on that, but I looked at the Real Clear Politics average, and it gives Biden a 53-point lead over RFK Jr. Meanwhile, you look at the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research poll, which did a little different kind of poll, guys. They did word association, and here are the words they came up with Trump. Corrupt, crooked, bad, liar, dishonest. They then played the same word sampling with Biden. They came up with old, outdated, slow, confused, corrupt, and crooked. So, Doug, explain the disconnect with me, how these two guys could be lapping the field, but at the same time, they get these rotten reviews when it comes to adjectives. A uh, little hint, Bill. It wasn't the same people saying crooked and corrupt about Trump and Biden. All right. So who, who are these people supporting them and who are these people who are giving the bad reviews? Yeah. So the, the remarkable thing about Trump is how popular he is among the Republican base. That Trump is more popular among Republicans than Biden is among Democrats. And while Biden has his problems, he's, uh, you know, a little on the older side, um, he doesn't have any of the obvious problems of Trump. Um, yet the Republican base is extremely enthusiastic about Trump. Uh, and it's not one third of the base, it's half of uh, Republican voters are very enthusiastic about Trump. Mm -hmm. And most of the remainder uh, will vote for him, even if uh, he isn't their first choice. Biden's problem is a little different. Um, Lord, first, I mean, um, Biden's approval among uh, Democrats or favorability is lower um, than Trump's is among Republicans. Uh, second, a lot of Democrats um, would prefer someone else other than Biden uh, to be the nominee, uh, though, again, there's no consensus alternative. You know, I think Biden's problem is he just needs to uh, mobilize the Democratic base and win enough independence, uh, and then he can get reelected. Uh, Trump's problem is he's running a campaign that puts him at a ceiling that's probably at you know, around low 40s as a percentage of the vote. Um, and he's not doing anything to expand his support to uh, marginal groups. If you had to bet, you know, if you had a gun at your head now and bet on what would happen in the election, I think what Doug just said is fully correct. But I, I do want to 
and point out one thing about uh, how, as we talked about a little bit uh, earlier, Bill, uh, before Doug got on, uh, and and that was the question of how is it that with all all these people against these two guys, they're uh, still leading, and and if you break down the Democratic Party uh, by who's likely to vote in a primary, mm -hmm. so strong Democrats are much more likely to vote in a primary than not very strong or lean Democrats. And the numbers there are interesting. Uh, about 50% of strong Democrats want Biden to run again, and less than 30% say he shouldn't run again. Among not very strong Democrats, it's the opposite, 25-56. And among lean Democrats, it's 33, 33, 34% want him to run and 46% don't. And for Donald Trump, it uh, just as Doug said, among uh, strong Republicans, uh, people most likely to vote in a primary, he's over 60 percent to 20 percent uh, so uh, that want him to run again. So while it may be the case that lots of American independents, I'll give it one, the independents are 10 percent of independents say they want Biden to run again, 73 percent say no. Mm -hmm. uh, so and the same thing is true for Trump. Independents don't want him to run. So so the bottom line is it is the primary voters and uh, the likely primary voters, strong Democrats and strong Republicans that are uh, going to nominate uh, Biden and are going to nominate Trump unless something miraculous happens. Yeah. Doug, there was a news on the uh, two pieces of news on the Trump legal front today. One I mentioned in my uh, rather lengthy poll question, which was that uh, in the uh, New York defamation case, uh, he was uh, ruled against. He has to cough up more money uh, in that one. But also in the Georgia case, uh, the, the prosecutor came forward today and uh, she revealed two rather interesting pieces of information. One is that she plans to uh, to call 150 witnesses. Uh, but secondly, she sees the trial lasting four months now, Doug, you have been uh, polling on uh, Trump and legal matters. Uh, CBS YouGov had a national poll out uh, in early August, and it showed that just over half of Americans agree with Trump uh, uh, that uh, with the idea of uh, illegal unconstitutional activities. The question here, Doug, is Trump's legal activities. I mean, he goes to trial the day before Super Tuesday in, in March. Uh, if he's on trial in Georgia every day, this is the OJ trial on steroids, it seemed to be, in terms of grasping the American public. How do you see the legal problems of Trump overshadowing this election? Yeah, so I'm not a legal expert or a lawyer, mm -hmm. uh, but my impression is the chances of any of these uh, cases going to trial mm -hmm. uh, before the election are relatively low. Um, the dates we have at the moment are um, scheduled dates. So there are the, you know, you should think of them as the earliest possible time they could go to trial. You know, if, for example, Trump tries to remove the Georgia case to federal court, uh, that's going to um, slow down the timetable. Um, and then there'll be various appeals and uh, so forth along uh, of decisions of the trial court. Uh, that would uh, potentially uh, delay matters. Um, so I, I think if people are expecting these trials to actually occur in the springtime, I think they're likely to be disappointed. Um, but for the sake of argument, suppose they do happen. Yeah. Um, we are definitely in uncharted territory where one candidate will not be campaigning, but will be receiving all the media attention. There's nothing the other Republican candidates can possibly do right. that will compete with a televised trial in Georgia. It would be all Trump all day long uh, sitting in the courtroom. Does that help him? Probably not with 
swing voters, but um, you know, so far it seems like it it hasn't hurt, and if anything, has strengthened them a bit among um, you know, the Republican base. Yeah, but Dave, here we have this odd conflict. So again, going back to the uh, to Doug's CBS YouGov poll, where he found that over half of Americans agreed that Trump tried to stay out of office after the 2020 election, and the phrase in Doug's poll is, quote, through illegal and unconstitutional activities. Uh, at the same time, there's a rally around the flag effect. Every time Trump has something legally thrown at him, or he's never strengthened in Republican primaries. So how is this going to translate in the general election, though, Dave? Well, the, ra- the, rallies, the rallies among uh, his backers, and he's picked up some extra backers. You know, in regard in regard to how it would translate into the election, I did see a poll that said uh, some over 40% of Republicans said that if Trump was convicted, they wouldn't vote for him. I don't I, I don't know how meaningful that is. But mm-hmm. but in terms of the elections, the Democrats have bet everything that Donald Trump will be the nominee because I don't I don't think I don't think Joe Biden could beat anybody else. But uh, the bet is that he'll beat Donald Trump for the reasons that Doug suggested earlier, that when, when push comes to shove, they'll come down and they'll say, well, Biden, you're not the greatest guy, but he's better than he's better than Trump. We, we can't take another four years of we can't take another four years of Trump. And, and again, it will it'll be nip and tuck and it'll come down to like four or five states and probably 50 or 100,000 votes. OK. Doug, put on your poster hat for a second, and I want you to go through three issues for me, and you you rank them in terms of importance this election. One is abortion, because we're now in a post-Dobbs era of um, of elections where, where Democrats can run very hard on the idea of Republicans trying to take away abortion rights. B would be inflation, and C would be the president's age. So how would you rank those? Uh, the number one issue will be the president's age. Mm-hmm. Uh, that A, there's nothing... Uh, Biden can do about it uh, to change right. it. Um, it's uh, even among Democrats, there's a lot of queasiness about uh, how old Biden is. Um, so as, as an issue, it's much more effective. Abortion is, you know, there are people on either side. The majority of um, the population is pro-choice. Um, there's a smaller committed set of pro-life voters. Um, so abortion tends to benefit Democrats somewhat. Mm-hmm. But in a race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, um, I don't think most people think uh, Trump, despite appointing three Supreme Court justices, really has his heart in uh, the Republican uh, uh, position on abortion. Mm-hmm. Dave, what do you think? Oh, I think abortion depends on if if you take the and the, some of the experiments Doug's run. If you take the strong, strong Texas sort of position on abortion, then I think it hurts Republicans to, to three, three and a half percent. If you go to the six week, it hurts them less. And if you go to the 15 weeks, which is actually three weeks longer than the original Roe decision, mm-hmm. it looks like that doesn't hurt them much. So I think the campaign abortion will be there. And because the Republicans won't have tied it together, uh, Democrats will be able to campaign against uh, strict abortion and it'll help them some. I guess I'm a little confused as to why Doug thinks age. I, I, I took what he said earlier to be all other things equal. If the election were held today, Biden would win. Uh, and if the number one issue is his age, I don't see I don't see. Why is that making a winner? Or you think people it'll be the number one issue and people won't care ultimately? 
well, Democrats will have to get over it, uh, but it's going to be the crux of the campaign, I think. Listen, I mean, Democrats, the fact is, if if you put him in, what do they what do they call those things where Ted Williams is cryogenic or whatever, to, they put you in one yeah. of those things. If he was in one of those, Democrats are going to vote for him over Trump under any under any circumstances. And Republicans no, are going to vote. And no, Democrats, you're right. Republicans are going to vote for Trump. So the question is, it's um, going to come down to it's a better it's a better issue amongst uh, independents. Um, let's let me come back to the one issue I didn't mention. There was inflation. Yes. Um, so objectively, inflation has come way down from where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were at eight percent of inflation um, a year ago, and we're at less than half that at the moment. Um, in the polling, um, inflation was the most important issue in March of this year, with twenty-three percent. It's still the most important issue when you ask people that, but it's down to seventeen percent. Uh, so I think inflation is diminishing as a problem. It's certainly not. Um, so much in the news as it was then. Mm. But the interesting thing is how Biden is is not getting any credit at the moment for an improving economy. This is, a, this, is, this is his effort to go out and pitch Bidenomics, right? Well, that's their plan. We'll see yeah. how well they do it. Um, I guess I, guess I don't find that surprising. Uh, well, I'd say you, food um, and gas, I food suspect and gas if you go back to our conversation a year ago, you'd say, well, we think there's a likelihood that we're going to be in a recession yes. uh, in 2024. Um, I think uh, the consensus economic forecast still has a bit of a slowdown next year, but I don't think anyone is expecting a really bad recession at the moment. I, um, Biden's economic numbers really haven't moved much. Um, if you ask people uh, the state of the economy, whether um, it's uh, excellent, good, fair, or poor, Democrats are pretty much at the same place now they were six months ago. Mm-hmm. About uh, 44 to 46% say it's excellent or good. Uh, 20 to 21% say it's poor. Republicans, on the other hand, uh, have dropped from 15% saying it was excellent or good in March uh, to 8% now. And the percentage saying it's gotten um, it's uh, poor has risen from 61 to 72%. All that matters are independents who think that the economy is not doing well. Yeah. So among independents, uh, in March, 19% thought the economy was uh, excellent or good. That's dropped to 16%. And the percentage thing, poor, has risen from 44 to 53. Now, the the poor ones, I think, are largely Republicans. Among independents, you know, a, a fair fraction of the independents are leaners one way or the other and fairly partisan. But it, it's certainly the case that Biden has not gotten any bump from the economy. Uh, my guess is between now and the fall of next year, uh, it, Biden could get a bump from an improving economy. Um, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But w- one of the ways that they count the statistics, they don't include food and gas etc. in there. And it is the case that when you go to the grocery store, eggs are higher than they were and so on. Uh, and it, but as I believe, but as I believe uh, the other the way the economists measure it is a better way, those uh, short term factors, I think they'll come down. And so I think uh, I, I agree that uh, inflation will be less of an issue. 
and I think uh, that Biden may may uh, uh, be able to pick up some support for a better economy. I don't yeah, think yeah, Biden economics is going to do it, but um, there is one silver lining I noticed in the numbers. So uh, we asked a question about the trend in the economy: is the economy getting better or worse? Mm-hmm. Um, so over the last six months, um, the percentage thing is getting better has risen from 23 to 32% among Democrats, mm-hmm. from 8 to 12% among independents. It has actually gone the other way among Republicans, dropping from 5 to 3. You know, if 12% saying the economy is getting better among independents is not a great number, um, but it's certainly better than 8%. It's going, but the point is, it's going the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think there's some signs that, Biden's position will strengthen over the next six to nine months if uh, things continue as they have been recently. So I, I, I do want to say one thing. I think this election ultimately is going to come down to Democrats and independents. Uh, what, what the Democrats hope is, and I think this is not, you can't get this out of any poll, but I think ultimately it's going to come down to the fact that uh, the people who voted against Trump, the Republicans and independents who had enough, I think they're going to go to the polls in 2024. And all the things Doug said about the economy, that, that'll help Biden a little. But ultimately, it's not going to Nobody's for Biden. Very few people yeah. voted for Biden. They voted against Trump. And that's the way they're going to run the campaign again. And I do think that running the primary, continuing to push the issue that the election was stolen, I think those things build the base. But they're going to hurt with independence in the long run. And, th- and that's, of course, the Democrats bet. And that's why they're going with Biden. I want to talk more about independence, but I want to close out one thing on polling, Doug. Uh, and that's the question of right track, wrong track. Uh, I know when we did polling in California uh, for Hoover, Californians always showed the state on the wrong track. You look at polls across the country, I believe majority of Americans will say wrong track. But when we talk about right track, wrong track, Doug, how would you drill down on that? Would you do it simply on economics? Would you do it on America's standing in the world? Would you do it on you know, social values, or would you do it on political class? Because, you know, here we have in this election, uh, two very unpopular candidates, you have the you know sad situation of Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein in Washington, the political class, the gerontocracy. How would you how would you break down right track, wrong track in this country? The conventional view is the right track, wrong track is largely an economic measure. Um, it can pick up other kinds of malaise. Um, but uh, mostly the economy. Uh, I think the, you know, the age issue for McConnell and Feinstein and Biden and for that matter, Trump um, is is specific to the candidates. And uh, well, over is, time, that correlation, that correlation between the economy and how's the country doing is uh, is going down. I think it's the less economics, yeah. more cultural. There's there's all sorts of stuff in it, but it, it's as though. It's as though the cars. It's as though the cars on a downhill slope with no brakes, and it doesn't matter which driver you drop in. People are going to say, "Gee, the car's going the wrong way." Well, I don't think um, a majority has said the economy was on the right track for a quarter century. Right. Um, that was not true fifty years ago. Right. Um, it's also the case that you can't get a majority saying the economy is 
agreeing on what direction the economy is going. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's, my, that's my fault. It's the public's default position to say the country's on the wrong track. But what exactly do they think is wrong? Well, it's it is the default position in yep. the age of partisan polarization. It was not, uh, right. you know, fifty years ago. Um, if you believe the poll numbers, we've been headed on the wrong track, uh, going to hell for a very long time. <laughs> we, we, we should have been there some time. In fact, we should, according to Dante, we should be in about the eighth circle now. There's only one left. Okay, Dave, I want to go to your wheelhouse, and that's independent voters. Gallup came out with a poll this spring. Uh, that poll would have you believe that 49% of Americans think of themselves as, quote, unquote, independents. What, what do you think of that? Well, it depends on the the standard question is you ask people do you uh, you consider your at the moment are you a Republican a Democrat or independent, mm -hmm. and I do think that that number uh, that may be a little high for Gallup, but if you ask just that that basic three point question are independent, then it's the case that the independents are the are, are the plurality, but then when you follow the follow up question is. Well, do you lean toward, if you're an independent, do you lean toward one party or the other? Uh, that's the leaners that Doug was talking about. And as you, and as you move closer to the election, the number of people who are pure independents gets down around 10, 12 points. The problem is you could really be an independent and decide how you're going to vote. And then when you ask the leaning question, it just means you don't lean toward the party, you lean toward the vote. And I don't think we have a uh, Doug may know better than I, but I don't think we have an answer as to exactly how many are uh, actually independent leaning Republican or Democrat versus which way they're going to lean, at a, to which way they're going to vote. I guess the simplest being yeah, not get too wonky on you here. Um, the Gallup question is in politics as of today, uh, would you call yourself Democrat, Republican, or independent, which is a little different from the academic party ID question, which is. Mm -hmm. supposed to get it uh, more deeply held identity. So the Gallup number um, typically is higher on independence than the academic surveys, mm -hmm. uh, and it bounces around more. The other big debate is the so-called closet partisans debate, uh, which Dave was referring to when you ask people, are they a Democrat, Republican, or independent? And then you ask the independents whether they lean towards one party or the other. And um, if you classify leaners as partisans, um, and they do appear to be pretty partisan, um, then the fraction of pure independence is down in the low teens. Um, it's not close to half. I think you just described California, where the biggest gain in parties has been, or at least in terms of affiliations, has been so-called DTS, or declined to states, which is a tricky way of saying independence. But when you actually look at the voting results, they're not saying that they tend to lean left when it comes to it certainly comes to candidates. Yeah, nationally, independents tend, tend to lean a bit to the right. Um, you know, in California, we no longer have closed primaries. Um, so there's no incentive to uh, pick one party or the other for registration. Uh, okay. But uh, Stephen Salabahar and I have been collecting some data on this and have found that the Decline the state does appear to be correlated with split ticket voting and uh, the fraction of independents. Say that again. The, the party registration of not uh, registering with a party. Um, yeah. Half the U.S. states have party registration, allow you to pick a party. Uh, yes. Frequently, they have partisan primaries uh, where you have to be a 
registered with a party to vote in that party's primary. Uh, California, of course, got rid of partisan primaries and went to the so-called jungle primary, right. um, where the top two candidates end up being on the November ballot. Um, and that reduces the incentive of people to register as partisans, uh, even if they may psychologically be partisan. Yeah, that'll be a fun Senate race for you to pull, by the way, Doug, uh, in California. Uh, mm-hmm. two, question, two questions about independence, and we're running out of time. We're only got about 10 minutes to go here. Uh, one, I want your thoughts on uh, Kirsten Cinema in Arizona, her chances of uh, of getting reelected because she is now an independent and hoping that voters are going to reward her for kind of being a baby McCain, being a maverick. And then secondly, I want your thoughts on the uh, no labels political organization. So uh, first, Doug, your thoughts on Arizona and Kirsten Cinema. She's toast. Why so? Uh, she's highly unpopular. Democrats hate her um, and uh, Republicans aren't going to vote for her. Um, so I, I, I see no uh, path for her in Arizona. I think um, I'll be surprised if she actually makes it to the election. The only um, the only path for her is if the Democrats nominate, as they might, uh, somebody way on the left and Blake Masters gets nominated and she can <laughs> she can get on the ballot as an independent, but I, I I don't think her chances are high. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put them as zero. I think actually Masters and Carrie Lake are going to score off in that race, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. That'll so, be a fun one to watch. Um, no labels. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we've mentioned no labels before. Um, first, it's practically impossible for uh, a third party to gain much traction. Um, they're, um, at the moment, I think most people perceive them as drawing votes away from the Democrats, which is why, mm-hmm. uh, Democrats have been so critical of them. Um, but I don't, if Trump is on the ballot, um, uh, I, you know, he's such a force to mobilize Democrats to vote for the Democratic candidate. Uh, it would have to be, uh, you know, something calamitous happened to Biden to um, make a a third party candidate at all viable. Right. So Joe Lieberman has said that uh, no labels will only move forward if it has, in his words, a realistic chance of winning. So this prompted me to go back and look up Ross Perot's numbers in 1992, because Perot is the closest thing we've come to kind of a real, real third party press. It's not a spoiler, but somebody who really did some serious disruption. Uh, What was Perot's strongest state in 1992, Doug? Uh, it wasn't in Maine. Alaska. 28, 28, he got 27% Idaho, Kansas, and Maine. Uh, but the closest he ever got in a statewide race was within 11 points of the statewide winner. But so, he also affected the results of the election by uh, people who Republicans switched away from Bush at a much higher rate than Democrats who voted for him. And yeah. that's what I think the Democrats are worried about. Not, not that they can win, but a third-party candidate in just a couple states with three or four percent of the vote could hurt uh, hurt Biden. Right. Well, that's been the history of our country, at least uh, in the century. Ralph Nader gets 2.7 percent of the vote in the year 2000. But you talk to Democrats and they'll point the finger at Florida, New Hampshire. There are Hillary Clinton supporters who will go to their grave hating Jill Stein because she took away votes in, in Wisconsin. If you look at Gary Johnson, he's a libertarian and Jill Stein was a green in 2016. They collected about 5.0 million votes or about 4.4 percent, but they managed to screw up the equation. So question, gentlemen, Cornell West. I don't think he's I'll start on that one. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the toast. 
I'll be the toast on that. But uh, I, I just, I, the strong Democrats, the people who, the people, the ones I just gave you an example of are most likely to vote in the primary. Mm -hmm. They're strong Democrats and they're very liberal. And the dislike they have for Trump is so high that they'll vote for the cryogenic Biden uh, over 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 uh, Professor West. Mm -hmm. Doug, is there any appetite, though, among this electorate which would look at Trump and Biden and not like the choice and would want a third choice? And don't throw Oprah at me, but just the idea of somebody who could maybe be clean from the political system and could just come in as, a, as the, the white knight. I'm not saying it'll happen well, in 2024. Been... The concept, at least, of somebody just coming in as a political outsider. And I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you watched the Showtime show Billions, but that's part of the plot of Billions this year. The billionaire trying to come in and save the political system. But well, it wouldn't there... bother me. It wouldn't bother me. I don't know how Doug feels about it. But it wouldn't bother me to see a white knight charging. I just know where they are. Yeah. They're going to have to come out of nowhere. There's definitely, you know, there's a decent. Well, first, nearly everyone in the whole electorate is dissatisfied with one of the major party choices. There's, you know, go find me a person that thinks that a Biden-Trump race has two candidates that they think would be good choices. Um, the There will be plenty of belly aching and dissatisfaction and so forth, but I just don't think it will go anywhere. Um, people aren't going to be terribly happy with the choices, uh, but in the end, they're going to have to live with it because... Uh, it's going to be either Biden or Trump. And so a vote for a third party candidate uh, is effectively a thrown away vote. OK, final question for you, gentlemen. Let's throw one more yogiism at you. It ain't over till it's over. Is the Republican race over right now? Well, not quite. Not quite. I, I love asking right. these questions just so we can go back and burn these conversations. 98, here 98, 98. It's 98 percent over. Okay. Yeah, I'm with Dave on that one. Um you know, Trump is polling less well in uh, Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. Uh, it's not like it's close in those states. Yeah. Well, seems to be part of the problem is you can't. This goes back to 2016 and deja vu. You can't beat something with nothing right now. And it's not just yeah. Trump having weak numbers in Iowa or the chance to topple them there and maybe pick up. Show me who's got momentum. Somebody who could step in and take advantage of that and. You might say Nikki Haley, but she might be a passe thought if she has a bad debate performance. Ron, Ron DeSantis, I think people may be teaching classes on Ron DeSantis in a year or two from now on bad political craftsmanship. But it just seems to me the Republicans are going to have the same problem that if they don't want Donald Trump, they have yet to put forward an alternative. I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. 100 percent agreement. I think Nikki Haley has the little mo, as uh, George H.W. Bush used to say. Yeah, a little mo. Right? He went from eight to you know, eight to ten or something like that. Yeah, that means that means that means it's the it's the eighth inning and you're down thirteen to one. But no you, big. It much. was thirteen to nothing, and now it's thirteen to one. <laughs> it's a little mo. A little mo. There you go. But it's no mo. It's no mo in the long run. So then question for you, Doug, if Dave is right and the Republican race is 98 percent over, I didn't ask you about the probability of the Biden-Kennedy race. Um, mm -hmm. What are we what are we pulling on? That this one time? is over, Bill. I'm, I'm willing to call that one. You're putting a hundred on that one. OK, then what what are we what are we pulling on right now? No, Bill, we poor pollsters have to earn a living even when there's nothing good to poll about. I, I've been trying to get them and to answer a question that he sort of invented for parties. I think if we ask the question about
would you ever vote for Biden? Would you ever vote for Trump? And then say, I might think about it. I, I think for me, going into the election where I think it's going to come down to how much you like this uh, for Trump voters, they might like him. But for Biden voters, it's uh, for Biden's support. It's how much they dislike Trump. I think a question like that would be very useful. And you said at one point you thought it wasn't bad. I'll do it, Dave, for sure. our next uh, session. But I do think that's the relevant question. The relevant question is uh, how many, how many, so imagine the economy takes the wrong turn or Biden has some bad moments, senior moments, et cetera. And then how many people, what you, what I really want to know is how many people fit into that. I would never vote for Trump under any circumstance. That's crucial. I think it's a big number for the Democrats, but I want to know about independents and and leaning Republicans, the, the very people who brought uh, the 2020 result that we had. I think Doug's right when he started the show. It looks like more like 2020 than 2016. And uh, that's that's the question. Yeah, I think so. And Doug, in this age, is it hard to get people to actually admit they might change their vote, that they might actually have an open mind to Biden and they might actually have an open mind to Trump? Well, I think they're telling the truth about that. The, the thing we find difficult is finding anybody who changes their mind. So every week, you know, we get a new poll, it's a new sample, and there's a bounce one way or the other. And then we go looking for, find me someone that switched sides, and they're awfully well, the, hard. In the recontact, the economist recontact, the one that uh, had 5,000 voters, uh, we asked over the same panel, it was a panel, we asked it from starting in 2015 through 2022, and I guess we're going to go back. There were some, we could find some people who changed changed their mind between 2016 and 2020. Yeah, uh, but it was on the order of a few points. Um, yeah, but that's that that decides elections. Yeah, I was going to say, some people, does that move the needle? Or are we talking about enough people to get under a carpool in California? Well, I'm not going to speculate on California, but the number of people switching was smaller than the new voters entering the electorate and older voters dying away. Um, and uh, the net mobilization, uh, if you look at the number of people who voted in 2020 and mm -hmm. didn't vote in 2016, mm -hmm. uh, that was a massive number, you know, uh, 25 million people. Okay, I can promise you one more, uh, one last question, Doug, and this is indeed the last question. So, if we're not going to look at the horse race numbers, if we think the two parties have their uh, have their candidates selected, tell people when they look at the next Doug Rivers poll what line they should go to. What metric would you would you point them to? Well, um, as I said earlier, I think the most interesting thing is we have, by objective standards, a relatively improving economy, mm -hmm. and when will that start to register? Because uh, traditionally, that's been the kind of thing that uh, has net movement in the polls, where you go from a bad economy to a good economy. Um, that Those effects are much lower uh, in the last 20 years than they were uh, in the earlier history of polling. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of betting on uh, economic reality, if it's improving, um, uh, or certainly if it got worse, Biden would be in deep trouble. Okay, well, Doug, let's leave it there. And hey, I didn't mean to uh, suggest that you should be out of a job right now. We need public opinion more now, now more than ever. All right, Doug, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Dave Brady has already left us. He had attendance of Stanford Business. So come back soon on the show. Let's talk more about what the polls tell us. Thanks, Bill. 
You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the globe. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. If you wouldn't mind, please spread the word. Tell your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and X feeds. I have a hard time saying X. I want to say Twitter, but X marks a spot. Our X handle is at Hoover Inst. That's H-O-O-V-E-R-I-N-S-T. Dave Brady is not on social media. Doug Rivers is. His X handle is Doug underscore Rivers, spelled as you might expect. And his excellent polling firm, YouGov, is also on X. The X handle there is at YouGov, spelled Y-O-U-G-O-V. I mentioned our website at the beginning of the show. That is Hoover.org. While you're there, sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Dave Brady and Doug Rivers and their Hoover colleagues to your inbox weekdays. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with a new installment of Matters of Policy and Politics. Till then, take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.